Good morning. How you doing this morning? All right. I have to adjust this for all the vertically challenged people out there in the world. You have your Ralph sheet. All right. This isn't my father-in-law Ralph, who happens to be here with us this week. This is Ralph Williams, and uh, that's so that everybody has all the scripture verses that are used here, in case we go too fast. Gail always scolds me because I don't give you time to um, find the scripture verse, but now you have no excuse. All right. So this morning, we'll start out with the, the part where you and I interact because in speech class, I say that's important. So I need you to, to participate for a moment. Who in here has a bumper sticker, one or more bumper stickers on their car? All right, Kevin does, Laura, whoop, you do, you do. All right, not as many as I thought. Um, my father hated bumper stickers, and uh, we were not permitted to get anywhere close to our vehicle with a bumper sticker. Um, and I followed in his footsteps in that when Gail and I got married, we quickly came to an agreement that we would not put bumper stickers on our cars. And then uh, shortly after that agreement, we came to a new agreement that she would put a bumper sticker on her car if she wanted to. And, uh, but I put my foot down only on the glass part, right? Only on the glass part, right? Not on the paint. So, uh, you know, I like bumper stickers, the ones that are well done, the sayings that go on there. Some of them are crass and, and don't show much thought, but uh, some are, are incredible. And uh, so I picked a few out for you. Uh, they're so specialized today. Have you noticed that? Everything is so specialized today. When I was a kid, it either said Nixon for president or Humphrey for president or George Wallace for president, but that was really only if you were in the South. Um, so they were pretty much political bumper stickers at that point. Today, just, they're just so specialized. I'll share a few with you. For instance, commuters. There are bumper stickers for commuters like Tim back here and, and others that drive long distances to work. Um, I picked three out for commuters. First one is, sorry for driving so close in front of you. Um, you know, there's that one. Then there's uh, the one that says, uh, hey, camp in a tent, not in the left lane. And uh, then the third one I picked out, is one that I've thought about getting, but Gayla, you know, I, I said I wouldn't put bumper stickers on my car, but it says, watch out for the idiot behind me. So, uh, you know, you can have fun with bumper stickers, but we get carried away. Peace activists, do you know there were bumper stickers for peace activists? The one that I've seen for a long time just says, visualize world peace. You've seen that one? And then there's peace activists that really want to be comedians. So they have one that says, visualize world peace. Uh, play on words. I like that one because I like a play on words. But then there's the one for the peace activist that's also a commuter. And it says, visualize using your turn signal. So um, there's a commuter theme that will run through many of these. They have bumper stickers for homeschool moms. How many homeschool moms we have? Homeschool moms, homeschool moms, going to be homeschool moms. All right. So they have, two, I picked two out for you guys, right? So the first one just says, honk if a kid falls out. And uh, the second one, and actually I thought of Amanda actually when I saw that one, but anyway, 
she has such a good sense of humor. But uh, the second one says, we homeschool so our kids can learn at their own pace. Caution, our five-year-old's driving today. If you're not a homeschooler, that doesn't mean quite as much. Now, my father-in-law, I don't know if we have anybody else in here that is or was a um, public school teacher. But that was my father-in-law's career and my mother-in-law's as well. And they have one for them. It just says, retired teacher. Every child left behind. Okay, okay so I, I like that one. And um, then, of course, Christians are all, if you notice, Christians are always the last ones in on anything that's kind of good or fun or, you know, whether it's the type of music you have or whatever. We're always, we lag a little bit behind. And, uh, but I did find several. When we, what we lack in timeliness, we make up for in volume. So I found several for Christians. Um, one is, do you follow Jesus as closely? So that's kind of the commuter one too, right? Uh, the other one, uh, you've seen for a hundred years, honk if you love Jesus. Well, they have all these variations off of that one. Honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him. You might have seen that one. Um, the church treasurer's favorite bumper sticker along that line says, tithe if you love Jesus, anyone can honk. Um, and then the one that's been around forever, though, is just that in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You've, you've heard that one before. You've seen it probably. A variation of that, though, is my all-time favorite in the world. And it says, in case of rapture, this car will temporarily swerve as my mother-in-law grabs the wheel. <laughs> now, I loved my mother-in-law, and at least we're going to leave... We're going to leave bumper stickers about right now, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So, uh, but I had fun. I have fun with bumper stickers. I hope you do too. Believe it or not, though, a bumper sticker that I saw one time helped me to make the most succinct definition of what my fundamental and primary belief is as a follower of Jesus Christ. I was years ago driving up 231, was turning left to go on to I-24, and there was a car in front of me. And it had a bumper sticker that simply said, God is always right. And I started thinking about that because I started thinking about what that really taught me, how, how that helped me to refine down in a single sentence really what all of my Christian life and Christian beliefs are about. God is always right. Proverbs chapter 2 tells us uh, this. We'll start in verse 6 here. And it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then, and you have to understand, he's going back to saying, hey, if you get this wisdom that God's offering, right? If you get that, then, verse 9, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Psalm uh, 119, verse 137 says this. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. So let's look for a minute at what the word righteousness, what that term means. And probably, um, I was publicly, I was, I was a student in public school, so I might not be able to do all the things that you homeschoolers can do. But... Uh, 
one of the things I think in this particular case, I can get to the root word of righteousness. Anybody in here uh, get to the root word of righteousness? All right, come on. All right, James said right, and uh, I think I think you told him, you punched him, and said say right. So uh, so he did, and and that's where we get to there. It's it's the item or manner of being right, righteousness. So I found a an explana- explanation by um, a pastor, former pastor of a Baptist church there in Richardson, Texas. His name is Brian Harbor. You have this quote in your uh, paper. But he asked this question and then answered it, and I thought he did a great job. He said, what is the meaning of this phrase which all of Scripture attributes to God? To speak of the attribute of the righteousness of God means that God is always right. No matter how things look from our human's perspective, no matter how confused life seems to be, no matter how uncomfortable we are with the circumstances of, of our lives, this is a truth we can hold on to. God is always right. I'll give you two sentences here, and I need you to uh, pay close attention here uh, to these two sentences because the difference, they're, they're so very similar, but the difference speaks directly to the sovereignty of God. So, two five-word sentences. God does what is right. What God does is right. Okay, I'm going to go through that again. I want you to listen closely. God does what is right, or what God does is right. You catch the difference in there? The exact same five words in both sentences. As a matter of fact, aligned exactly the same, except one got moved to the front on the second sentence, right? Such a key, such an important difference in there, and I want to spend a good bit of time on that today. They both have the same exact five words, uh, but there's a totally different understanding depending on which one of those that you choose to go with. Here's what it is. If God did what is right, then that would indicate that There is some standard of right and wrong created or determined outside of God and therefore before God. And that is not and cannot be true if God is who He says He is. Genesis 1.1 says this, you know this verse, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 135, 5 and 6 Say, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Don't miss that. He does whatever He pleases. When you're the Creator, you get to do that. And then in Acts 17, 22 through 25... You know this story if you've been to church uh, most of your life. And that is Paul is standing there in Greece, in Athens, talking to the men there. And he's just walked by this, this altar to the unknown God. And he's talking to these men there, um, really the, the leaders of Athens. And he says that what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. So I don't want to get too crude in my uh, examples that I might give, but anything that God chooses to do is right. I really want to drive that point home because it is, it's so very important, especially in today's world. Anything he does is right. He had chosen to say, for instance, that every third child upon reaching the age of 60 is to be thrown into a burning pit. You want to know something? That would have been what is right. Because the Creator gets to decide what's right, not the created. And that people today struggle so heavily with that. And I would admit to having struggled in the past with that too. But the Creator, not the created, gets to determine what is right. Now I'm kind of thankful God didn't say that since I just turned 60 and I have two older brothers. But uh, it's good for me that He didn't. But had He done that and someone had thrown me into a burning pit, they would have done what was right. This is such a fundamental truth that I'm going to keep hammering on it for just a little bit. I want to give you, I want to clarify this even more through an example. All right? So, I'll be Adam right after creation, except I have clothes on and a belly button. All right? Now, I have... This book, if I'm Adam right after creation and God does what is right, then I have this book and this pen and I open it and there is a list of things in here that tell me what's right and I follow God around through the Garden of Eden and I just check off. Yeah, he did what was right. That's great. God did what was right. Oh, over here he did what was right. But that's not the way it works. It is not the way it works at all. The way it really works is if I do, if I believe that God does what's right, then, then that's, that's the way it is. But as Adam, what I really do is I open this book, this notebook here, and it has nothing written in it. And what I do is I follow Adam, I mean, I follow God around, and I just write down what he does. And whatever he does, that's what's right. And that's the way it works in our life. The difference between being the creator and the created is that exact example. That's how it works. What God does is right. So today, though, we have a world full of people, and I'm afraid sometimes we might even fall into this, of looking in this notebook of our own emotions and our own opinions and our own desires and we're checking off whether or not God's right. And that's wrong. We can't do that as Christians, but the world around us, that's what they do. That's what they've decided. Several years ago, I read a, uh, uh, the following quote from someone you've probably heard of, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, South Africa. And he said this, he said, I would refuse to go to a homophobic heaven. No, I would say sorry. I mean, I would much rather go to the other place, speaking of hell. 
I would not worship a God who is homophobic, and that is how deeply I feel about this. Now that crushed me, not because I care one whit what Desmond Tutu, Tutu thinks or does. It just doesn't matter to me, but what crushed me as I began to see, uh, especially college students and others that Galen and I had mentored uh, through various ministries that we've had, especially uh, with the uh, University of Middle Tennessee State University students, uh, I began to see them make similar statements. They would do it about any number of things having to do with social justice, for instance. Uh, social issues of any kind, and they would start that. Um, uh, yeah, I could just see it mainly through Facebook. You know, we would hear them say some things around us, maybe, but mostly it was through what we saw them write in Facebook, which was the big app at that time, if you remember, uh, several years ago. So I put a posted a little note on Facebook to see if I could help a little bit. And here's what it said. It said, I see more and more articles in newspapers and on the nightly news and the Internet uh, where people who claim to be Christ followers are making statements that start with, I could never believe in a God that. And then there would be some statement after that. The second I see that at the beginning of a sentence, I immediately know that it's going to be followed by a stupid comment. How arrogant and ignorant it is to believe that somehow the created has the right to define the creator. You and I take God just as he is because he's God and we're not. Now, if you want to say, I can't find in scripture where God is, whatever, then I can go with you there. Because it's a starting point that shows we are willing to take God just as he is. We just want to know just how is he. That puts the emphasis on God and not on ourselves. Many people claim to be Christ followers who are simply idolaters, who choose as their material of choice the Christian religion from which to begin carving their statue. In um, the book Studies in the Prophecy of Jeremiah, I'm sure all of y'all have read that many times over. It's a bestseller. Um, being facetious, uh, but it's by Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, I pulled this quote out, and it, it is so, so very good. I hope you'll keep up with it. You can trash mine, but if you'll just keep up with this one, you'll be good. When a man makes a God according to the pattern of his own being, he makes a God like himself, an enlargement of his own imperfection. Moreover, the God which a man makes for himself will demand from him that which is in according, which is according to his own nature. Men will be faithful to those gods who make no demands upon them which are out of harmony with the desires of their own heart. When God calls men, it is the call of the God of holiness, the God of purity, the God of love, and he demands that they rise to his height. He cannot accommodate himself to the depravity of their nature. He will not consent to the things of desire within them that are of impurity and evil. He calls men up and even higher until they reach the height of perfect conformity to His holiness. God calls, God's call to humanity is always first pure, 
and then peaceable. First holy and then happy. First righteous and then rejoicing. So there's a second thing that I know that I want to share with you that's important. And that is that His Word is true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is the shield to those who take refuge in Him. John 1 first three verses say, In the beginning was the Word, you know this, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the reason that God's Word is, it being true, is so critical to understanding that God is always right, that stems from the fact that God has limited Himself in only one way, that He cannot lie. Titus 1, the first three verses there, we'll catch the first couple of those. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We see it again in Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. First Samuel 15, 29 tells us one more time. Also the glory of Israel, that is God, will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And finally, Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says, so that by two, we catch it right in the middle of the sentence there, it says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. It's impossible for God to lie. That's the only restriction He puts on Himself. Throughout all of eternity, that's the only restriction. God's Word is so important because it's the primary way that we know who God is and what He says. What He says about Himself, what He says about His creation, what He says about His plans for us, and about what is right. Anybody in here know who Bill Mayer is? Bill Mayer, maybe? He's, um, he's a comedian, which I find oddly funny. Um, a political commentator and a television host. And he has a couple of shows. One was called Real Time with Bill Mayer and the other is Politically Incorrect. Maybe you've seen some of those and you recognize who I'm saying he is now. But I was somehow or another, never really watched him, but I was flipping through and saw an interview he was having with someone. And um, I caught just long enough and it caught my attention because the person he was interviewing said something about the Bible, something true that he used the Bible to, um, to reinforce. And Bill Mayer, he, he just he rubbed his head and he kind of looked pained and he said, oh, that book, that book, that has caused so much trouble in the world. And then he started talking about Jesus being the, uh, uh, how loving and forgiving he was. And, and I thought to myself, how do you know what Jesus is like apart from his word, apart from scripture? How do we really know, right? 
Now, God can reveal however he chooses, and he does in some cases. He certainly has revealed himself throughout history, separate and apart from the written word, but not from his word and who he is. And, um, you know, it just, it just is paramount to know uh, and to love God that we understand that his word is true. It's always true. The only thing he can't do is lie. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God. But what we know of him primarily is through his written word. He's been so generous to us in that way. Um, and we know that he, he cannot lie. So we can trust that. So I'll leave you with the best bumper sticker that I've seen lately. It just said, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is always right, and His Word is always true. On those two truths, I've wagered all of eternity. And you can too.